This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. When God stepped out of eternity and formed the earth and declared, let us make man in our image, he had determined to declare and to show his great love for his creation by coming in human flesh. And our Creator took upon Himself the form of a servant. And that servant became our sacrifice. Today, we take a look at the first Christmas. We learn that things haven't changed much since then. During that time, Bethlehem was a major hub for travel, crowded with chaos and people needing to connect with family. As the story goes, our Savior, our gift, was born in a stable because the local inns were all sold out. We're distracted now more than ever. need to stop the madness to realize the greatness of the gift that we've been given, making this really the most wonderful time of the year. Let's join Pastor David in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, for our continuing study entitled, The Most Wonderful Time. Everyone back to his own city. That happens all across the nation. So busy, so much traveling, so much back and forth. The traffic during this time of year is horrendous here, and it was then also. They didn't have the jets. They didn't have the cars. They didn't have the highways, but still the traffic on the main roads of travel, it just had to be horrendous. A great multitude of people going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house they go. Travel even back then, though, was expensive. Whatever you couldn't carry, you had to purchase along the way. And the government really didn't care much about the expenses that you incurred. You had to do what they had commanded. This was a decree, not from somebody local, no. This was a decree that came from Caesar himself, Caesar Augustus. You had to conform to the expectation of the government. And I'm not sure if we could even begin to imagine all the chaos that was all around Bethlehem during that time. There were multitudes of people throughout that area that had traveled from all over Israel to come back to the land of family and their ancestors. Now, they say that the normal population of Jerusalem in that first century time frame, according to Josephus, a historian of the time, was as much as 80,000 people living in and around Jerusalem at that time in the first century. According to another Roman historian, Tacitus, during certain religious holidays and certain feast days, the population of Jerusalem and all the surrounding area could be estimated as high as 600,000. It's kind of the difference of Casa Grande during the summer versus during the winter, okay? Josephus, again, estimated that there were at times as many as 1.1 million people in that area. Now, we get busy here, don't we, during the wintertime, trying to get in and out of the stores and down the roads. It just just gets busy. Can you imagine you're in an area, you're in a a population center of about 80,000 people, and suddenly there's 600,000 people, or suddenly there is a million people? Can you imagine the chaos that's all around during that time? Bethlehem was a small town, about five miles 
to the south and to the west of Jerusalem. So they got a lot of the spillover from Jerusalem, as well as people that had to go back to Bethlehem itself, Bethlehem, the city of David. So the descendants of David, as well as the descendants of others who had lived in Bethlehem, the families that were coming down. So again, the crowds, the multitude of people, all that was going on, even the overflow from the big city. So you get all of those people. And the question I had to ask myself is, where do all those people eat? I mean, the fact is, is there was no Cracker Barrel in Bethlehem, okay? There was no Chick-fil-A. There was no McDonald's. And where do all those people sleep? There was no Holiday Inn. There was no Comfort Inn. There was no La Quinta. There might have been a Ritz-Carlton, but that was up in Jerusalem. Not in Bethlehem, though. And as the people began to pour into that area, they would first of all find those spots that were common lodging areas, the local inns. And for most individuals that had the individual homes, if they were going to use it as an inn, it would be a place of safety where you could stable your animal for a season. But the living conditions primarily was that there was a large courtyard in the front if you had that capability. It would be a fenced-in courtyard with a secure gate. So if you're traveling and stopped at that particular inn, the accommodations there wouldn't be a king-size sleep comfort bed. No, it would be in my front yard area, inside the gated area, you can sleep on the ground over here. That'll be your spot. Not the best of accommodations for any of them. But as they came into that area, again, looking for sleeping quarters, some of the homes might have an extra room, but that room would probably be filled in with family that was coming in. And some, for many of them, they slept on the roof anyway. That was their sleeping quarters. Even during that time of year, you just had to throw an extra blanket, an extra covering on. Some might open up their homes for simple hospitality's sake. But others of them knew that there was probably a shekel or two that could be made by opening up their homes. But for Joseph and Mary, as we read the story here, they were about to have a child. And what does it say? The days were completed for her to be delivered. And yet for them, the hospitality of the little town of Bethlehem was pretty lacking. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The world was so busy during that most wonderful time of the year that they didn't even have room for the Savior. They had no room because of the busyness of their lives, because of the hecticness of their lives, because their lives were filled with so much other stuff and things. When we look at the gospel accounts, there's a variety of ways that each one of the gospel writers speak of this time of life. Matthew gives us, in essence, the genealogy of Joseph, and then it goes into Joseph's story and how Joseph was spoken to by an angel, because after he had found out that Mary was pregnant, he had mind to go ahead and release her from their marriage agreement, because he knew it wasn't his child. And so an angel came and told Joseph not to be troubled, not to be worried, but to take Mary as his wife. And the angel said, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph did as the angel commanded, and he took Mary to be his wife. 
In Mark's account, though, we start actually right in with the ministry of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. So we don't even have a nativity narrative in Mark at all. And Luke, what we're looking at this morning, and then the fourth opportunity we have is actually in the Gospel of John. And John does give us a nativity narrative. I don't know if you really recognize that or not, but John gives us probably the best nativity narrative narrative because he begins at the beginning. Turn there with me, if you would, in John chapter 1. Very familiar verses to so many. John writes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. There's so much that's packed in those verses. He says in verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's so much there that we could spend a season of time in each one of these. We know because we know the context of what he's writing here. We know that a little bit later when he speaks about the word, he's speaking about Jesus Christ himself. And he says there that in the beginning was the word. Now, you and I think of beginnings, and we think of a particular point of time. But you need to realize that, again, in God's time frame, when they say in the beginning, no, that just means eternity past. In eternity past, which means there was no real start for it, but in eternity past, the word was with God, and the word was God. These verses speak about the eternality of Jesus. And it speaks about not only encompassing all of eternity past, but also the preparations for all of eternity future is what we're speaking about here. And when we speak of not only the eternality of Jesus, we also speak of the deity of Jesus. The Word was not only with God, but the Word was God. And right here we have probably one of the best declarations within God's Word of the deity of Jesus because a little bit further down as we continue, we know what verse 14, we'll look at that again in a minute, but it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as John continues on, we know that he's speaking about Jesus. But the thing I want us to look back here on is the creative force. Look back in verse 3. He says, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. There's a multitude of verses all throughout the Word of God that speak of Jesus Christ creating all things. He is the creative force of God. In the beginning, we read there that God and that plurality of God, God speaking, let us make man in our image. 
Christ himself being that creative force. The book of Colossians in the New Testament tells us that for by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. And you might think, well, does that mean in the heavens like the stars and the planets? And absolutely it does, but it means also much more than that because Paul continues on in that verse when he says, not only has he created all things that are in heaven and are on earth, but he goes on to say, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Do you catch how radical this really is? Or do you come to that point of, oh yeah, I, I know Jesus made everything. And suddenly we just move on in life and we miss the majesty of all of that. He created all things. Everything that we see and know was created by Jesus himself for his glory. Now, for me, through the years, as the Lord has pounded that into my head, I've tried to make it a real part of my life. And I'll often say little phrases like, for those of you that like raw fish, they call it sushi. I tell people, you know, that's why God invented fire, okay? It's a created portion of what Jesus did. When I was working as a journeyman electrician and I had apprentices working with me, I would say, that's why Jesus invented apprentices, so that you could carry that for me. <laughs> the very creative force of God in all things. And I find it amazing that it's Jesus the creator of all things, who came as a flesh and blood baby, who grew into manhood, and who suffered the inhumanity of man in order to redeem mankind from their own sin and restore us back to the relationship that we were created for. The very one who created us took upon himself become that child, to grow into that man, to make redemption possible. And he did that by choice. He did it his choice. And John tells us here in chapter 1, a little further down in verses 10 and 11, it says that he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. He came And they missed him. He came and revealed himself. God revealed in human flesh, and they missed him. I believe because they were so distracted by the busyness of the world. They were distracted by their own sinfulness. They were distracted by their own selfishness. They were distracted because of their lack of ability to be able to focus on the important things in life because they were so consumed by the urgent things of life so involved with what's right directly in front of their faces that they couldn't see eternity that was standing before them also. How easy that is for us to get that way. I had the honor of doing a funeral service yesterday for a woman that I did not know. The reason I did it is because one of our winter visitors knew the woman. She had passed away. They asked me to do the service. A very small group, probably smaller than even this section here in the fellowship that came to the funeral. 
Nearly everyone in there I knew was not a believer except the one couple that invited me to come and do the service. And near the end of the service, I shared with him, I said that I would be doing a great dishonor to the lady who was deceased and to the Lord if I didn't share with you just a couple of quick points. And among those quick points that I shared was the fact that we get so busy in life that when deaths happen, it is that sudden reminder of our own personal mortality. Someday every one of us are going to face death. We're going to face the God who created us. And the second thing is, is that we need to understand that so many of us spend so much of our time day in and day out, week in, week out, year in and year out, investing in the things of this world, busily and active about the things in this world that are going to simply perish with their using without giving thought to the reality that eternity looms before every one of us. How much investment have you made in eternity. And then the third point that I shared with him, because I'm a pastor, I had to have three points, was is that God has thought about it for you, and God has made provision for you through sending Christ. But are we distracted? Even as believers, how distracted we can get just because of the busyness, the hecticness of life, the craziness of life sometimes. When God stepped out of eternity and formed the earth and declared, let us make man in our image, he had determined to declare and to show his great love for his creation by coming in human flesh. And our creator took upon himself the form of a servant, and that servant became our sacrifice. The word tells us and history shows us that the vast majority of people have missed that. They've missed it. Most were or still are today too busy or too distracted to be able to see, to be able to understand or to stop long enough in their own personal pursuit in the craziness of this life to consider the claims of Christ. But I'm glad that some did stop. I'm glad that some did consider. And even as John tells us here in verse 12, that some did come to that point of receiving him. Some did come to that point of becoming children of God, to believe in his name, to be born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And down through the years, a great multitude now has joined with the shepherds on the hills that night as they sang, glory to God in the highest, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. But you see, I wonder if a part of that is simply because the shepherd's life. Think about a shepherd's life as compared to all the craziness that was going on during that time. They call the shepherd's life, catch this, they call it a pastoral life. They call it a pastoral life because that word has the definition of calmness. It has the idea and the thought of opportunities of deep meditation and thought. Now, just a side note on that, 
The unfortunate truth is, is I don't know too many pastors that live a pastoral lifestyle, present company included. Taking just enough time to always know, to calm down in the craziness. It's crazy at church even. You think it's crazy in your life? It's crazy at church. It's crazy at church this time of year because we want to make sure that everybody, you know, has that kind of holiday feeling. We want people to enjoy their time here. We want to make sure the decorations are right. We want to make sure that different functions are going on that you're going to be blessed with. And of course, in the meantime, we had a radio station to get birth to. So yeah, it's been just as crazy. So I've had to purposefully in my own life stop the madness. Stop the madness. And understand again, just the sweetness that this can be the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of all the celebration, but because as a reminder of the greatness of the gift that was given to us in the birth of Christ. It's funny, this time of year too, lambs are born. I don't know if you've seen that, but if you look around some of the large areas here down on Cottonwood, just around Arizona, there's a huge field there that they're growing different crops during the year. Now it's mowed down. And this past week, there were some herds of sheep in there and they had their little ones there. They had the little lambs there. Some of them couldn't be more than just a a couple of days old. And just the, just the excitement of seeing those little lambs there and some some of them jumping up and down the way they do. And just again, the thought came to me that for a shepherd, this is the most wonderful time of the year. How exciting is that to see the birth of the little lambs? And that's exactly what God has done with us. The birth of the lamb of God. And how blessed we can be by that. As long as we allow our focus to remain on the truth of the word. As I shared, verse 14 here in John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's this time of year when we celebrate the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We, of all people, we as the church, we as believers, of all people ought to be the ones that are absolutely able to say, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. Why? Because we know the extent of the reason for the season. So even in the midst of the craziness, even in the midst of the stores and the traffic, even as we gather our dysfunctional families together, we ought to be the ones who in love can tell the Uncle Jack's of our lives, that there's so much more to celebrate than just the physical times. There's so much more to celebrate than just the gifts. So much more than just a family gathering. It's a time to celebrate that God has provided himself as the lamb, as a way of escape, as a way of redemption, as a way of reconciliation. God has done all of this through Jesus Christ, not as a baby, but as a sacrifice for all of mankind. One last word as we close. Unless you are Martha Stewart or Rachel Ray, unless you have a staff of a hundred and a virtually unlimited budget, 
unless you have the opportunity for multiple retakes, it's not going to be perfect, okay? Why don't you settle that in your heart and in your mind and just enjoy the time together? Enjoy the time as a time of celebration, yes, with family, of giving gifts out of love to each other. Absolutely, there's no wrong in that at all. But don't forget the importance of it is that God took upon himself human flesh and dwelt among us in order that we might have redemption, in order that we might be reconciled to him through the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Mm-hmm.